This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. I think a lot of people, when they think investing, they're like, I need thousands of dollars. I need to put hundreds of dollars each month. That's not true. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do two things. First, we'll be answering a question about what to do with your money after you are debt-free. And second, we're back with our mortgage-free segment. Today, we're chatting with Brendan Dale from Cape Town, South Africa, about how he became mortgage-free, or bond-free, as they like to say in South Africa, in less than five years. All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Caitlin on Instagram, and here it is. My husband and I will be debt-free by the end of the year. We want to buy a house, but the housing market is crazy where we live, and we don't have much saved for retirement. Should we just invest in the stock market with our extra money after the debt is gone and wait to buy a house till things cool down? Caitlin. Caitlin, thank you very much for reaching out and congratulations on working on this debt-free goal. That's super exciting and best of luck as you move towards the finish line by year's end. Now this decision you're talking about investing or buying a house, that can be a tough one. And as I say on this show a lot, it's a personal decision. So since I always think that two opinions are better than one, I thought I'd invite a post-debt-free life expert on the show today to help me answer your your question. So today I'm excited to be joined by Marcus Garrett. Marcus helps people find simple ways to decrease their debt, increase their wealth, and multiply their income streams online. He's the author of Debt Free or Die Trying, and his expertise has been highlighted in major publications like USA Today, Market Watch, and CBS News. Welcome to the show, Marcus. And thank you for having me. I can see this polished, refined uh, introduction that you have there <laughs> on, on first read, first take. Folks. Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's all about preparation, right, buddy? <laughs> yes, yes, and on that note about preparation, let's help Caitlin a little bit prepare for her next moves as she uh, hits this debt-free line. So what's a smart move here for her, investing in the stock market or buying a house? Uh, I'm going to agree with you and co-sign on. So number one, congratulations on paying off any amount of debt, but any amount of debt that you may have had. And I agree with you. There's no wrong answer. It's going to be a personal decision. I'll come at it from the auditor perspective, which is my background. So I like to use percentages and data. So if I had some follow-up questions for Caitlin, it would be, are you buying a home to live? Is this an investment property? I'm going to assume it's to live based on the the timing of the question and type of question they're asking. Plus, you said the housing market is crazy. I feel that the housing market is always crazy. It's a, <laughs> a lot of people talk about timing the stock market with the famous quote of time in is better than timing the stock market. However, there's no way to time the housing market either. So it, it just goes back to that personal choice. But informing that with, I guess, some probability, I would say a home typically has a decent return if you plan to make it a residence and you're there for five to 10 years. Pretty much the industry standard as far as getting your investment back, I should say. So if you're going to keep it for that amount of time, 
time and it's a personal residence, it's a fine decision to make. Some other clarifying questions I would have, I had an opportunity is, are, are we going to put a down payment? Are we going to put a deposit? Typically that's up to 20%. I'm assuming this is one of the higher cost markets because she did say it was crazy, although it seems to be crazy around the entire country. <laughs> and thus I would wrap up with, you know, emphasis. Uh, this is literally in italics in my notes. Do you really have to choose? So some example saving rates, you can start with investing for retirement, with this, especially with all the apps that are out there right now. It's as low as $50 a month. Some of those apps, I'll go in order of my preference here, <laughs> would be uh, not paid by these affiliates. Uh, <laughs> well, simple, Acorn. But I, I, just, I bring those up because you can start with as low as $50. So I think a lot of people, when they think investing, they're like, I need thousands of dollars. I need to put hundreds of dollars each month. That's not true. The one that I personally use, but you need a higher investment to start off with is Vanguard. And that is, I think, $1,000 to start investing with Vanguard. And then if you're going to use Vanguard Total Stock Market, it's VTSAX, V-T-S-A-X. <laughs> you need up to 3000 to start there. So because I don't know what she's working with, I, I wanted to have a few options. And when I say you don't really have to choose, it's a personal choice. You're going to pay off debt. So you're already making these debt allocations. And usually when I have a question like this, I use the 80-20 rules. So you were already, let's say using, I'll use a thousand because it's easier math. You're already paying a thousand dollars a month to pay off debt. Let's take 800 of that and put that towards your home savings and then 20% towards your retirement savings. That way you're not spending any more money yet you're accomplishing both goals. And then finally, uh, another thing that I find people that they don't consider is, you know, is there an employer match out there? So that way you don't even have to put all of your money up front. So to revisit, you can start with as low as $50 with some lots of investment apps out there. I would start with Wealth Simple because they can do as low as $50. If you have about $1,000 to start with, let's start with Vanguard because they're, I think I saw you actually talking about on Twitter, their platform isn't very technically savvy, but it gets the job done. And I'm not a technically savvy person, so it's very simple for me. <laughs> took me about 15 minutes to set it up. And then number three, let's see if you have an employer match out there. Let's just take that debt savings that you are already spending each month, divide it by 80-20, put 80 towards whatever your savings goal may be, and 20% towards your retirement savings. I love this advice. And one thing that you pointed out, which I think is fantastic, sometimes people think it's a black or white decision, right? I can either invest or I can save for a home or buy a home. I love your point on why not both? Why can't we do some of both? And I think that's the whole point. The earlier we start with investing, time and compound interest can really help us. So even if we're starting with the 50 bucks or the thousand bucks or whatever you can get into, developing that habit, building it up. And hey, if you can use a fintech app like Acorns or Wealthsimple to make it easier for you just to get rid of that, well, I don't know much about investing. Hey, man, these apps, these things can make it so much easier for you. Is this a typical question that you find? You know, you often talk about this sort of post-debt-free life. Is this a typical struggle point that you found for people in your community or people you've talked to through your platforms? Yes, I hear this question all the time, and I agree with you, and maybe it's because of what we're taught. Most people just, they think it's an and, and or scenario, uh, or I guess in this case, it'd be or. They, they think that they have to save in the stock market, they have to save retirement, like can't do both. And I think when people really break it down and look at what their priorities are, and going back to that personal choice, putting that personal on personal finances, they really have more options than they realize, especially for someone like this who's already been making what I'll call the sacrifice to pay off debt. You're already used to allocating money towards likely something that you wouldn't want to be spending your money towards. Right. <laughs> so it's really just repurposing it. I remember when I was getting out of debt, I think at my highest point, 
towards the end, I was paying like $1,500 a month because, but I mean, also, but also by that point, I just wanted to be done. So I was putting $1,500 a month towards debt payments. And that's, you know, a pretty good chunk of change when you start talking about retirement, when you start talking about a home where you're going to be investing over a 30 year span, you can do a lot with that savings. And people have been so focused on just paying off debt, I, I think it takes a mindset shift to be like, oh, there's different ways I could divvy up this money and I've already been making this sacrifice. Talk to me about your story a little bit, Marcus, because I think that's super interesting. $1,500. I don't know if it started at that point for you or did you find ways to increase your income, decrease your expenses to be able to get to that level? Increasing my income is something I focus on now, but coincidentally, I started at age 27. So I graduated school. Now I'm start dating myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to use years. So I graduated <laughs> school at age 22 and had $9,000 in credit card debt. I then got a consolidation loan. Allegedly, I applied for a consolidation loan that was supposed to pay off that $9,000 in debt. And I thought that they would, I'm, I'm, but yeah, I'm 22. So I thought they were going to pay off the debt for me and I would just have my monthly, you know, one low monthly consolidated plan. Like, you know, it said in the marketing material, they sent me this check and I, <laughs> it was the most amazing thing. I had only made $9 an hour. Like that was the most money I'd ever made in my entire life. So I had never seen a check that large. It was either 10,000 or 15,000, which, you know, the fact that I can't name the amount tells you how much, how vested I was in this check. Didn't read any of the fine print. And so I spent it all. I went out, bought me in college bay, a, a bunch of material possessions that you know, did not accumulate in assets or value, bought me a car with rims that also didn't accumulate in value. And I just basically spent the entirety of the check. I think I paid off one credit card. And so in that one weekend, I went from $1,000 in debt to $26,000 in debt. And you know, I'm 22, just graduated college with a business degree. So I'm like, you know, who cares? I'm about to go out here and get this, you know, any money. There's nothing to me. There's a little pocket change. I'm not worried about it. And it took me seven more years to pay off that debt. And that's what the, ultimately I ended up writing about and I talk about now. And, and now I'm on the other side of the the wrong side of 30, but the other side of the hill. I, I could talk to young people and children all around the country, and honestly, men, women, and adults about you know. You can be down pretty bad and still have a comeback. You know, I, I was down, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use in the fourth. <laughs> you know, it, it was halftime. The score was uh, three to 28. You know, everybody was like, he's not going to make a comeback. And you know, I started, started driving down the field. So that, that was my comeback story. Then I ultimately ended up writing a book called Debt Free or Die Trying. And I ended up paying off that debt by age 30. And to, to give how important that is, I accumulated all that debt, first of all, in like 72 hours took seven years to grow it. I actually didn't even pay it off. I got a few more flat screen TVs. I, you know, I, I still like flashy things. And, but eventually when I finally made the choice, like I'm going to pay down my debt, it only took me from 27 to 30. And to answer your question a different way, I had also, I want to say quadrupled, but definitely tripled. I, I know I negotiated a 40% raise because I moved to Denver for that raise. So I, I definitely increased my salary 40% over the course of tears. I increased my salary 400%. Uh, and I had an interview with Yahoo Finance talking about that. So I was fortunate that while I was making all these financially irresponsible decisions, I was actually still holding down a job. <laughs> and maybe I had to, maybe it was, a, it was a matter of circumstance. I was increasing my salary that whole time. So I definitely encourage people if there is an opportunity to, again, take that two-pronged approach. Like you don't just have to pay off debt. What can you be doing in your life to increase your income along the way? It actually does make things easier. Money doesn't buy happiness, but neither does poverty. 
So there was a point you said, I think at 27 in the story where you said, enough's enough, I got to get rid of this. What happened in your life where you said, all right, this is enough, I got to change this? I was asking for my second consolidation loan. So, you know, for those keeping score at home, that's five years down the line, 22. So now I'm 27. And for those who are either at 27 or past 27, you know, the wisdom that comes with 27, you start seeing 30 knocking at the door. And I was like, you know, I I need to get my life together. And I was working three jobs at that time. And I was still struggling paycheck to paycheck because I wasn't making P. Diddy money like I thought I would. (laughs) (laughs) And I probably need a a different metaphor because I don't know. I don't even know people know who P. Diddy is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good, buddy. I'm in my late thirties. I got (laughs) you. Exactly. He was my hero. You know, I thought white parties, you know, on the other side of the yacht, we'd be pointing at each other from one side of the yacht to the other. Never quite worked out that way. It, it took me now at that realization, I was working, I was selling iPhones at the time, actually, working at a wholesale chain, putting a computer together, and I had a nine to five. I did a few of these jobs part time, and I was still struggling to make ends meet. And so I called up a consolidation loan at an organization that I'm still mad at and don't do business with. And, <laughs> and I asked them for a consolidation loan. And he, he asked me a series of what are now basic questions to be like, what are your credit score? You know, how much income do you make? How much outstanding credit do you have? What is your utilization rate on, on your credit? And I didn't know the answer to any things. Like, it's like if you sat down for the SATs and you only knew your answer, uh, your, your first and last name. <laughs> you got to question one, you realize you didn't know question two. Like, that's how it felt. I was like, golly. And I just felt so, I call it rock bottom in the book, so bad about that situation, so uninformed. And, and so ill-prepared for adulting that I was like, I'll never let this situation happen again. And I also realized at one point when he put me on hold that I had no plan B, which I talk about a lot now, that if he came back and said no, I had nothing. There was no other option. I, you know, there's only so many hours in a day I'm working three jobs. Like I, I, I realized during that call, I had nothing else. I needed him or this entity to say yes or who knows? Because fortunately, they did come back and say yes. But I'm pretty sure bankruptcy would have been how this story took a, another turn. So that was what happened to me at age 27, that very traumatic PTSD event. And I was like, you know what? What I did is I went to bankrate.com. I actually, first of all, I, this is very key to the story, also dating myself. I went to Yahoo. I'm not even sure Google was out yet. <laughs> I distinctly remember searching Yahoo to figure out where I needed to go. And I ended up at bankrate.com calculating S and I still recommend to this day, I started building what would ultimately become my debt-free plan. I love it. And you made that plan. You continued to increase your income as we talked about, controlled your expenses. And in three years, you were debt-free. At that point, when you were debt-free, did you develop the skills to say, hey, I'm going to now make this money work for me? What did you do with that money? Obviously, to Caitlin's point in the beginning, what did you decide to do with your extra money? I would love for that answer to be yes. <laughs> now at 30, I had all the wisdom and, and necessary skills to tackle the world. But no, uh, and I've actually found this also happens a lot. I spent so many years and maybe Caitlin in as well is as well focused on just getting out of debt. I hadn't really been planning for anything else. I do recall TIA Cref. I'm not even sure they're still around. (laughs) 
you know, I'm dropping these names. These businesses probably don't. They've been like conglomerates now and everything like that. People are like, does that even exist? But they have come to my job coincidentally. And they, I remember going to the room and no one was there. And they opened up what turned out to be an index fund. I didn't even know. Like they filled out all the paperwork for me. Here's another thing I've found over the years that when it comes to taking your money, people are always excited to do so. <laughs> Yes. So they helped they helped me fill out all the paperwork. And actually they, they did a great service. So they opened up what turned out to be my first index fund. But I didn't have like any kind of strategic planning behind it. What they did is they rolled over an old, I believe it was a 401k, but it might have been a pension. But see see, I didn't even know. They filled out all the paperwork for me. <laughs> they were just like signed here, here, and here. And it has turned out over the years that it is very simple to do. So I've rolled like five since that time. But it was probably my later 30s before I started becoming more strategic and purposeful about my investment strategy. And we had Jonathan, I forget his last name, it starts with an M, but from ChooseFi. And he really articulated in a very simple way is getting out of debt gets you back to broke. And I was so focused on getting out of debt, I wasn't you know, looking to my financial future. I wasn't planning for retirement. Beyond any services that were offered by my job, I was just kind of meandering through life and I was happy to pay off debt. And then what happened was I didn't, I thought I was there, but really I just made it back to Brooke. I was back at zero. So I was not negative 30, but I was back at zero. So then plus five more years of wisdom and pain, I started making more purposeful decisions and focusing on building my net worth and focusing for saving and investing for the future. And ultimately what is now my focus is, you know, building and establishing a legacy. That's incredible. I love it. And I understand, you know, even some of your advice in the beginning, this investing journey doesn't have to be overly complicated, overly tricky, knowing all the, the ins and outs of, you know, single stocks or crypto or whatever. It sounds like an index fund became an easy way for you to get going. If somebody's listening right now and they've got that extra money, they're getting to that point of debt free and they want to start investing, but they have that confusion point. What do I do? What do you think is a, a simple way for somebody to start getting investing today? I would look at it two ways because ultimately I, I use that savings in 2021 to start my own business. But that's because that's what I was personally interested in. But I was personally interested in it because, and it's actually proven to be true, at, again, age 27, another thing I did is I looked at my income. So I've been in the public sector for a number of years. So the good and the bad of that is you can look at your pay scale for the next 25 years. And I took out an Excel spreadsheet and I looked at my pay scale if I at that time stayed in that pay band for the next 25 years or whatever my investment would have or my vesting would have been. And I dragged it down if I got a 1% raise, a 3% raise, and I think a 6% raise, which I think I've never gotten. <laughs> and I looked at that number at the bottom and it wasn't very big. It was actually smaller than what I make now. And I was like, uh, I think I need to do something different here. And so <laughs> I started looking at ways to diversify my income and multiply my income streams. But that ultimately proved to be interesting to me. Another kind of factoid that I saw years later is that the average American, I think by age 48, will see their income plateau, meaning that but for cost of living increases, if they exist in their pay ban. So they'll make effectively that pay rate for the rest of their career. And I started to see that at age 27. And I started looking for ways to diversify. As far as investments, I did what 
kids, I call them kids because they're younger than me, are doing now. You know, I tried all the things. I lost a lot of money trying to invest in like stocks and pick the right businesses and just get it right. Time the market, as I said about earlier, lost a bunch of money. And then ultimately what I just realized is for me, the type investment person I am and that I don't want to monitor stocks. I honestly don't even want to think about it or look at it too much <laughs> from, from day to day is I'm an index fund guy. I am fine with the market averages and and I had to take a step back, read 15 books along the way to, to, to validate the decision because of who I am. And that's that's what I use now. I use a retirement target date index fund. I have a pension fund through my employer, which for those who aren't familiar is the equivalent, the public sector's equivalent of a 401k, effectively a retirement fund. And then I manage my own account through Vanguard because it has low fees and it allows me to basically tap into, I think it's indexed to the S&P 500. And that, that's exactly my point. I log in like once a quarter. I, I have automated payments. I automate everything because I still know who I functionally am. I'm still that, I'm on the wrong side of 30, but I'm still that kid that likes big rims. So I got to take myself out of the process. I allocate the percentage that I want to go to savings and investment, and then I play with the rest. To get out of debt, I was on a 50-30-20 budget. I'm sure you talked about a lot on the show, but it's 50 for need, it's 30 for want, it's 20 for saving and investing. And now I'm on an 80-20, so I still do 20 for saving and investing, but I just, I have fun with the 80% because I feel like it's been earned. I've been through all these trials and tribulations. I'm on the other side side of the hill where I try to enjoy my money and, and, and grow my money through multiple income streams. You talked about investing in two different ways. You talked about investing in yourself with your business and investing in the stock market for your retirement or just your fun over the next couple of decades. I think that's important for people to think about investing not so singularly as well. Like for stock market, this could be real estate investing. This could be an entrepreneurial adventure. This could be investing in your education. What ways are you taking that extra money now that you are debt-free or moving on your way towards debt-free to invest in a better life for you now or in the future. So I think this is a fantastic message, Marcus. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to get a, in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? And I understand you got an awesome podcast too. So tell people where to go. So for the, anyone watching this on YouTube, uh, you can actually find me at youtube.com slash the Marcus Garrett. I'm universally branded under the Marcus Garrett. Uh, you can join the community newsletter at the Marcus slash show. I'll email you my free guide on how much debt you can afford on a 30, 50 or a hundred thousand dollar salary. It's one of my most popular articles. People ask about it all the time. And I update that data every quarter based on the cost of living index and salary negotiation tools. And you can find the Marcus Garrett show on your favorite podcast or wherever you're listening to these this podcast where i have weekly entertaining conversations with your favorite influencers and entrepreneurs nominated for best new personal finance podcast of 2021 absolutely and i'm excited to see you in person and i hope that award goes your way man that'll be fantastic and buddy i look forward to seeing you next week and thank you so much for your time today thank you we'll be back to the show after a quick word from our sponsors are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. 
I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up, the code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. How would you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? Well, on our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to interview Brendan Dale from Cape Town, South Africa. He and his husband recently paid off their mortgage, and he's going to share how and why their mortgage, or bond, as they like to say, is gone out of their life for good. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I like to start the show off with what we call the mortgage-free three. So this is quick, short answers that help us get an understanding of your mortgage situation. Does that sound good? Yeah, sure. What was your starting mortgage principal balance? And I understand RANDs are different than US dollars, so we can do some conversion together. Yeah, this is a bit tricky because you can't, I mean, we'll do a direct conversion, but it's the scale of economy is a bit different, but... Our initial amount was 1.9 million rand. And I did a little bit of research today. Just the average house price in Cape Town four years ago was 1.6. So it was just slightly above the, the average. Got it. And then I was doing some conversions online, and it looks like around 2 million rand is close to maybe like 150,000 US dollars, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll trust you. There we go. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. How long did it take to pay off? Four and a half years. The goal was three years, but that clearly did not happen. That was a little a little too unrealistic. You set some great goals and you guys hit it under five years. That's fantastic. So what's your home value today then? Right now, it's, it's just over two million. Just because of the pandemic, house prices dropped drastically. It actually went below the, the purchase price not so long ago. So 
That's around the same. That's incredible. Well, now you own it free and clear. So your 2 million Rand home is now free and clear. That's incredible. So talk to us about why you wanted to be mortgage-free. To me, it's, it's a big emotional thing. If you have debt and you, you know you have to pay it, all your decisions, especially your financial decisions and the job you have and things like that, it all relates to, can I still afford the bond? And if you want to go on a vacation, it's sure, but can I still pay this payment? And if you want to travel, it's like, okay, but I, so it's just, to me, it's just this freedom of not having, I'm not tied down by any debt. So we're actually completely debt free, a hundred percent. And it just, it just frees up the mind, isn't it? It creates opportunities. Whether we take those opportunities, that's a different story. But, you know, we, we are able to potentially travel overseas for six months and, you know, we could rent this place out and then live on the, the income somewhere else. So, yeah, to me, it just creates opportunities and, and frees up that, that stress, which might not be a, a everyday stress, but you, you kind of think about it. Absolutely. Well, there's something to that relief or that, you know, when you're taking care of your mental health, not everything like this can fit into a calculator, right? I mean, it's, it's an emotion, it's a feeling, it's a way of life. And yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's a part of the reason that we wanted to do it too. Talk to us about the loan process in South Africa, because I know it's probably a little bit different from here in the US. What type of loan did you get and how did that process work? Yeah, we have what's called an access bond where you can, you can put extra money in and then during the during the lifespan of, of your property ownership, you, you could potentially take that draw that money out again. So if you if you have saved extra, you could take it out. And yeah, generally you would pay up to ten percent deposit up up front and you would you wouldn't only if you're a first time homeowner you can get a hundred percent loan off otherwise it's normally a, a eighty or ninety percent. So we got a ninety percent and then yeah, we just we just put in extra money, and whether or not the the bank recalculated our instalments, we still just paid what we wanted to. So you know, they they forever dropped the instalments so that you only paid what you need to, and we just kept paying what we what we really wanted to. That's incredible. I love it. So one thing that I have a question on is sometimes, and I'm not sure how this is in South Africa, there is maybe a prepayment penalty. Like if you decided to pay off your bond early, there may be some fees for that. Did you guys experience anything like that where you are in South Africa? It didn't happen for me, but I understand for some international situations that can happen. Generally, if you give your bank a three months notice, so 90 days, then there's no penalty involved. There is a there is a small fee once you are mortgage-free and to actually transfer the, the bond, well, to transfer the property into your own name, then there is a little legal fee that you pay and you can't get around that, unfortunately. Got it. Yeah, I had to pay some of those penalties too. Or not penalties, they're just sort of fees to you know, finish everything off. It's just sort of that last jab in the side before you're all done, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. So let's talk about how you did this because you did it in under five years. That is a very fast time to become mortgage-free for a lot of people. So what steps did you take to pay off this mortgage early? I think it was a very big thing is to buy within your your sort of snack bracket, if you can say it like that. So buy what you can actually afford. So that's that's one thing. And then we just we lived quite frugally. We weren't we we weren't quite extreme as as many blogs I see. We weren't eating baked beans out of a tin. But we were quite <laughs> quite frugal. We left off. We haven't done major renovations or major maintenance on the place. We kind of we've put all the spare money we've had into the bond and every time I got a bonus at work I'll just put that money straight in 
and really any literally any few hundred rand that that we had we just put straight in you said you live frugally were there any specific things that you did to maybe decrease your expenses during that time frame or was it just sort of a lifestyle that you guys have led just a just a lifestyle and also i'm quite a quite an avid budgeter I, I love budgeting and yeah it's really just keeping track of of where the where the money's going and oftentimes it's it's not nice to have those questions where which is more important to us but sometimes when other things come up it's like okay well what do we actually want to do now and so there have been times where we had to give up some nice opportunities and yet other times we we embrace them you know sometimes a once in a lifetime happens and you just go with it there's always two people to the equation when you talk about marriage and partnership. So was your husband always on board with this? Did you guys have any disagreements no. <laughs> on it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Many, many along the way. It's a tricky thing, finances in a relationship. But yeah, no, we, we weren't always on the same page, but, but we've, we've got through it now. How did you solve some of those situations where it was saying, hey, you know, I really want to make this bond go. And maybe your partner was like, well, can we do some other things? Can you give us an example? How did that conversation go? Uh, I think it's, it's often been around the short weekends away where you just like, grab an A&B and go somewhere. And to me, I would see that as a bit of a waste of money because we, we have a goal to reach. Whereas his argument always is that, that it is good for us to do these things and have a bit of a, a break. So I think the, the solution always is just lots of conversation, open conversation, sharing how you feel in discussing things. And then unfortunately, there's always compromise somewhere along the line. But, you know, sometimes we would even, we could go away for the weekend, but maybe just choose a, a cheaper place or a closer place or do something else. I think it's, yeah, there's, there's no specific <laughs> tips I could give, unfortunately, other than just talk your way through it and figure out what, what you guys can do. I think you did give the tip. I think originally it sounds like maybe there was a three-year goal and then you guys hit it at just under five, maybe with some compromise on life and enjoying things. Your point on open communication being a strong key to keep the relationship strong, especially with these big goals, I think is really important. So I think that's an astute point. Can you give us a general understanding of what you guys do for a living and maybe income and things like that so people understand? Because this is a big thing you guys did within five years. Yeah, sure. So I'm a scrum master. Tell us what that is. What is a scrum master? I'll just say it's a glorified team leader. So normally within an IT company, an agile company, you would have a bunch of software developers and testers. And I'm a, a play a big role in communication, soft skills, and getting the team to do what they need to do, and communication with management, and kind of not running the team, but facilitating the team. I think so. That's what I do. And my husband is a qualified chef, so he does. A lot of freelance catering and private catering and photo shoots and things like that. That's great. You probably have some great food at your place, huh? Mm, indeed. <laughs> Does the scrum master thing come from, is that like a rugby term and that, that made its way into the business world? It is, yes. Okay, that's enough. cool. I, I don't know the full history, but yeah, it is. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah, get the team together and making some uh, sense out of the nonsense, right? I love that. That's great. So when you guys paid this off, how did you celebrate? How are things different for you now? It, it was a big deal. We haven't celebrated, though. It's very terrible. We, we do have a bottle of bubbles in the fridge that's waiting for, for the right opportunity. I think a big thing, obviously, we've had lots of lockdowns. I'm sure you guys have also. And life isn't quite, quite how it used to be. So we haven't, we haven't gone out and done anything big. We should. We've been talking about it. But I think how life has changed is 
right now I'm just really focusing on investments because obviously the last five years I haven't really been doing much investments and I've I've got a I do have a goal to retire early although I'm in my mid 40s so it won't be that early but I'm hoping to retire by 50 or so and I'm busy sort of aiming towards that but that's also not that's not too hard and fast I just want to be financially independent and sort of comfortable and that's that's the current goal is He's working towards that. I love that. That's great. Well, I'm also shooting for around 52, so you and I could partner on our goals there. That's very cool. Well, so early retirement, you know, you said that age might not be too early, but a lot of folks in our country are maybe looking at 65 for retirement. Even with some of the debt that we have in our country and the financial obligations that people still have, people may be working a lot later than that. Tell us how you're going to use your investments your plan to retire early how does somebody do that so i think for me being debt free so obviously we have a place to live now forever we currently have a car we might need to buy a new one but i i think it's kind of having your your major things covered and then working out what your monthly expenses are i use the rule of 25 where you sort of work out what what you're sort of aiming for but it it's all about to me it's it's minimizing the expenses and having your major things covered and then just knowing what your numbers are and sort of playing around within that, if, if that's enough of an answer. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned investing, and you know, there's a lot of folks that hear these stories and are like, wow, you know what? You could have made a lot more money in the market than paying off your mortgage. I'm not sure what your interest rate was. I guess that's the first question. What was your interest rate when you're paying off the mortgage? So interest rates in South Africa are super high. So for us, it really makes sense. So when we started the bond, it was on 11%. 11%, okay. Yeah, so then it's you probably could still make more money if you invest it, but 11% is is quite steep. And to me, it's, it's definitely worth pushing that. Whereas just last year after the pandemic, the interest rates dropped to about 7 but certainly not less than that. Sheesh. That sort of changes the conversation for us, too, here in the U.S. For example, I paid off our mortgage that was at 3%. So it's very low compared to what you guys are, are experiencing there in South Africa. So a lot of the time, you know, I hear from people, well, why wouldn't you have just invested in the market? And my answer always is, I did both. <laughs> it's okay to do both. You know, I was investing for a long time, maxing out some, uh, you know, tax advantage retirement options here that we have in the U.S., and paying off the mortgage because I felt the financial benefit of investing in the market made a lot of sense for us, but also the emotional benefit of never having a mortgage ever again and being able to have some options and freedom, as you've described, was worth it as well. So now that you are mortgage-free, bond-free, what's your plan for investing in the market? And how is that maybe different from investing here in the U.S.? I'm not sure how it would be different. I'm just... I'm a very boring investor. I just do the passive investment strategies. So I'm just going with ETFs, sort of a well-rounded portfolio. I've got I've got a, quite a lot of local South African investments, but I have recently started branching out a lot into the US and also into Australia because we've got a, a platform that allows one to do it very easily. But yeah, I just do straightforward indexes, very slow and boring. 
That's exactly what I do too. Maybe you could give it for anybody who's watching this video on YouTube or listening to the podcast. Maybe you can get a shout out to that platform that allows you to invest. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's easy equities. Easy equities. Okay, great. Yeah. Maybe that'll help people as they're looking to invest during their journey if they're in South Africa as well. Very cool. Well, you know, if somebody's listening right now, we want to inspire folks that are seeing your story and they're like, hey, this would be really cool to own my home free and clear. What is one small step they could take following this interview to get started? I would say just start increasing your monthly payment on your bond, even if it's just by 5% or round it up to the nearest 100, just start doing more. And then after that, whip out Excel and start working out how these things actually make a difference. Because I was, I was tracking it month by month and just seeing what's where we are. Well, it's worked. Your diligence has paid off. This is fantastic. I'm glad you're here to inspire us. I understand that you have a blog where you track a lot of this information and maybe help people on their journey. Where can people connect with you and maybe learn a little bit about what you've got going on? Sure. My blog is called takechargeofyourmoney.blog. And I'm very active on Twitter. With It's called Your Money Blog with underscores in between each word. But yeah, it would be great if people have a look. Excellent. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for inspiring us today to get rid of our bond, get rid of our mortgage and experience some freedom today. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Only a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. very different discussions about how to get out of debt and then what life looks like after. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I want to let you know that I'm doing a meetup next week in Austin, Texas. Yes, I am traveling to Austin, Texas. I've never been there and I'm excited about it. We're going to be hanging out for this meetup at Easy Tiger at 1501 East 7th Street on Saturday, September 25th at noon. So it's a Saturday at noon. Fun in the sun, my friends. Some conversations. Oh, you know, about uh, marriage, kids, and money. Kind of the name of the show. Makes sense, right? So if you are in, you want to hang out and have a chat, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Austin Meetup. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Austin Meetup to RSVP. That is a Facebook page, everybody. If you go there, it's a Facebook invite. So if you don't have Facebook, don't worry about it. Just show up and look for me. <laughs> or you could send me an email. Just give me a heads up that you'll be there. It's uh, Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or social media, Andy Hill MKM. I got to give a shout out to our friend and podcast listener, Sarah, who came up with this idea. And I'm very grateful for her proactivity and for helping us all hang out. So thank you, Sarah. So at a minimum, it's just going to be Sarah and I hanging out. So <laughs> I hope to see more of you. And if not, Sarah, let's hang out. It's going to be fun. <laughs> hope to see you all in Austin. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Albert Einstein. You never fail until you stop trying. Good luck with your big goals, my friends. Carpe diem. Carpe diem.